Thank you for downloading a sermon from the Chapel of the Cross. The Chapel of the Cross is a welcoming, growing, and historic Episcopal Church in Madison, Mississippi. I hope you will join us on Sundays for worship at 7.30 a.m., 8.45 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m., with Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. I also invite you to connect with the chapel online at chapelofthecrossms.org. Again, thank you for downloading this sermon. We pray it will enrich your walk with Christ. God bless you, and we look forward to welcoming you and your family to the Chapel of the Cross. Holy and loving God, write a message on our hearts, bless us, direct us, and send us out living letters of the word. Amen. Please be seated. During my checkered and dubious tenure in the pulpit, I have received a wide variety of feedback from various sermons. There is the simple and very much appreciated good sermon or good message as we greet each other at the door following worship. Some have a lot more to say about the scripture or my meager interpretation, how that spoke to them in some way, and for that I am thankful to the Holy Spirit. Some very honest individuals, and I welcome their honesty most sincerely, will offer more constructive criticism. That wasn't one of your best. Or, you could try a little harder next time. But the one bit of feedback that I will always remember, and I often think about when I sit down to write a sermon, was this, where is the challenge? A person who gave me that comment thought my sermon that particular morning was a little too accommodating, a little too cushy, and he was probably correct. And so he asked me quite pointedly and directly, and I can still remember the glint in his eye and his finger ever so gently but firmly pointed at me saying, where is the challenge? For our gospel this morning is quite challenging. In fact, anyone preaching this Sunday would be hard-pressed not to find a challenge in this morning's gospel. Scottish New Testament scholar William Barclay called this passage a series of bombshells. Professor Barclay went on to comment that we have read them so often that we have forgotten how revolutionary they are they are quite unlike the laws which a philosopher or a typical wise man might lay down. Each one is a challenge. For in this passage, we hear the renowned Beatitudes, which appear in both Luke and Matthew. And Jesus says, and I know we just heard this, but they always bear repeating, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you on account of the Son of Man. And then, and these don't appear in Matthew, but they do appear in Luke, and they are sort of the, uh, the flip side of the coin, the mirror image of these blesseds. There are the woes. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. 
Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Those words are quite challenging, certainly for me and perhaps for you. And I find myself and my lot in life more in line with the woes than the blessings. For compared to most in this world, I am rich, and perhaps you are too. Compared to most in this world, I am full, and perhaps you are too. Compared to most in this world, we are laughing. Well, perhaps not when I try to tell a joke, just ask my children. But I hope we're all at least in a relatively good mood. And compared to most in this world, others speak well of us. We are Episcopalians, after all. And so our challenge is, how do we, who have been given so much, receive Christ's words this morning? How are we, who are often happy and fulfilled, process Christ's blessings and woes? What are we to do with this very challenging piece of Scripture? As I thought about these questions this week, I was reminded of an odd incident that occurred to me several years ago when I was living in North Carolina Near where I lived, there was a camp called Canuga. Canuga is a place very similar in form and function to uh, Camp Bratton Green and the Gray Center up in Canton. And so I went there several times a year for retreat and for meetings. And I was there, uh, I don't remember why, but I was there and I was in a, I was placed in a cottage with several friends and colleagues and we had settled down for uh, a little bit of downtime and fellowship before whatever uh, meeting was supposed to start. And this was in the mountains of North Carolina. It was winter, which meant it was cold and it was wet. Um, And we did not want to go outside. But as soon as we sat down, there was a frantic knock at the door, and a person who we did not know was there and said, Help, a friend of mine is in need. So we all jumped up, filled with uh, a certain amount of, uh, of uh, unwarranted machismo, and uh, ran to their aid. Um, and we went down uh, what was a fairly uh, popular uh, hiking path, but then we went off into the woods for about 100 yards or so and found ourselves in, in front of this old abandoned cistern that had once been used as a reservoir. It was concrete, and it was about 20 feet across and about 20 feet deep, and there at the bottom uh, was uh, a person. And uh, they were okay, they were conscious, but they had obviously very seriously injured their arm. And so one of us climbed down into the cistern to help them, one went off to the, uh, the maintenance shed to get a ladder, and one of us went and got an SUV that could drive up uh, near that uh, cistern to maybe drive that person out and go to the hospital. And all of those things happened in short order, and that person, while they had broken their arm, uh, certainly uh, was going to be fine. And I remember that incident because of two reasons. One, I really want to know why that person decided to get into that cistern because it was surrounded by the requisite amount of yellow caution tape and lawsuit-proof fencing. And so they had obviously thought, oh, 
this means I should get in to the cistern. And also, that person had no business hiking that day, and it takes one to know one, um, that they just were not prepared. I think they were wearing penny loafers, and I think he was wearing a necktie. And so it was just very odd. And we didn't ask why he got into that pit that day, but for some reason he did. And so I tell this story this morning not to uh, glorify myself or make myself the hero. I certainly was not. and Or not to fill time in this sermon. But I think about that person, that person at the bottom of the pit, that person probably didn't find themselves at bottoms of pits very often. He was often, he may, and if he had heard this gospel, he may, like me, have related more to the woes than the blessings. He most likely often felt full and well spoken of. But then in the blink of an eye, he found himself cold, wet, injured, alone, and at the bottom of a large hole. And how many of us who are relatively comfortable and secure could find ourselves at the bottom of a similar, if not metaphorical, pit? How many of us feel like we are standing tall, secure in what we have and what we have accomplished, but in reality we are blindly teetering on the edge of oblivion and only one terrible diagnosis or one unforeseen job loss or one untimely accident away from being similarly alone and injured. The material things that we call wealth of this world are houses built on sand. And like the foolish man who builds his house on sand or enters a well-fenced pit, it takes only one bit of bad luck and we have nothing to hold on to. And if we rest and find our assurance in material things, we will undoubtedly find ourselves at the time of trial at the bottom of the pit. And it was to those who relied solely on themselves and their possessions that Christ preached these woes we hear today. But if we instead depend on God and not ourselves, then we have a lifeline and a means to get out of the pit if we instead rely on God, then when we, then we can receive the healing and comfort and power that the people who came out to see Jesus that day received when they touched his robe. And then rather than woe, we will receive God's blessing. For we are no longer relying on ourselves, but instead relying on God. What is the challenge this morning? The challenge is, quite simply, remembering that we are not God. Only God is God. That fact may seem obvious, but in a society where things like self-reliance are so revered, our lack of divinity is sometimes easy to forget. But when we remember that we are to rely on God first and not ourselves, we find our needs more abundantly filled than we could ask or imagine. When we rely on God, those empty places that we once filled with things or our own ego become open and available to the abundant love of God and the blessings of his son, Jesus Christ.
And then, when we are that open, then we become truly blessed. Amen.